0: be great if you could keep your Bibles or your devices or whatever you're following along in uh, open at Acts chapter 17. You might have noticed that there are three cities that Paul goes to in Acts chapter 17 there, Thessalonica, Berea and Athens. We're just going to be focusing really this evening on Athens, the last bit. Um, So just to give you a heads up about that, but let's pray as we come to look at this again together. Heavenly Father, we do ask that Uh, You will give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding, uh, that uh, you will give us uh, hearts that recognise the the massively significant and wonderfully good uh, news that the message of Jesus is, and that uh, each one of us, and indeed everyone in the world, needs to pay attention to. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of people I meet, it seems to me, uh, seem to think that God is kind of like my neighbour, not the neighbour that I was talking about a while ago, but uh, earlier today. But um, my neighbour that I used to live next door to, let me, let me tell you about him. Uh, we, we, I wouldn't say we were, we were good friends, but we got on, okay? You know, we would uh, say hi to each other as we would come and go from, from the house. You know, when you bump into your neighbour as you're leaving the house and you say hi, and occasionally we would stop and have a chat. We kind of we got on at that level. Um, he's a good bloke. He's the kind of guy who would be very happy to lend you something if you needed it. And um, uh, one time, in fact, I had some stuff I needed to get rid of, and so did he. And I got hold of a trailer, took my stuff to the tip, and, and, he did, and then lent it to him, and he did the same. Uh, and he'd be very happy to return the favour. He's, he's that kind of guy. We, we, kind of, uh, we, we get on well, but we don't really get in each other's way, so to speak. And most of the time, I get on with my life, he gets on with his life, and we're both okay with that. And I reckon a lot of people think about God like that. That is, you know, of course I want to I want to be on good terms. I don't want to be in a fight. I want to be getting on okay with God. And I'll do some things for him occasionally, maybe some religious things. I'll pray or, or you know, or whatever that might be. And I, I hope that he'll do some things for me, like answer the prayers that I That I pray. But most of the time, I'll get on with my life. He can get on with whatever that that God does, and I expect that that should be fine. Right? Now, I wonder if that's the way that we think about God, what will I assume then that God expects from me? What will I assume that God wants from me? Now, it might be that not everyone thinks about God in in those terms, like, like my neighbor. But my point is that what we think about God and what we think God is like actually makes a big difference to what we expect from God and what we think he expects from us. And as I mentioned earlier, that's really the challenge, I think, that the Apostle Paul faces when he arrives in Athens in chapter 17 to to tell people about Jesus, because he comes across people whose idea of God is just so far different from what he had encountered previously And that makes a difference when it comes to them hearing and understanding the news that he has to tell them about Jesus. And so, what we're going to do is, as I said, we're going to jump in at verse 16 where he arrives in Athens. And, you know, I expect that out of all the cities that the Apostle Paul visits uh, through Asia and Europe, Athens is one that we've heard of, right? You know, it's, it's a major capital city still it is a significant historical cultural philosophical center of the world and even 2000 years ago it was also it was a, it was a real uh, cultural and philosophical center of the world but when the apostle paul arrives in athens he wasn't impressed and wowed by their culture and their architecture and so on he was we're told in verse 16 distressed because the city was so full of idols And what I want to do just to begin with is to note how different that is from the two cities that he had just been in, the two at the beginning of chapter 17, Thessalonica and Berea. Now, obviously, the people in Thessalonica and Berea received the message of Jesus quite differently, but what I want to note is that the very different starting point that Paul had to work with when it came to telling people about Jesus. Because in Thessalonica and Berea, he was speaking mostly to Jews, right? That is, people who know the the creator, God, who revealed himself to Israel, who promised the Messiah. And so when he was speaking to them, you might notice at the beginning of chapter 17, his message was Jesus is that Messiah that God had promised. That's the the way he begins the message. But the people of Athens could not have been more different. There were some Jews among them, but most of them were idol-worshipping pagans. The city was full of idols and you might remember that the first two commandments that God had had given his people were there is only one God, don't have other gods, and the second one was don't make idols. And the, the city of Athens was exactly the opposite of that. It was filled with idols. It couldn't have been any further from the true worship of the real God and that came out in their expression of religion as I said, and in their philosophy. So how do you talk to someone about Jesus when their idea of God is just so different from the true God? As I'm thinking about it, it it kind of makes me think of when you're trying to explain cricket to an American. I don't know if you've ever had that that experience of trying to explain cricket, or to someone who has no idea about cricket. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're the person who has no idea about cricket. And they go... It goes for five days? It just seems ridiculous to them. It it, it seems crazy. They they can't come to terms with it. It's so different from any kind of expectation that they might have of, of what a sport should be like. And it seems to me that that's how it can feel sometimes when you're trying to tell someone about Jesus when their idea of God is just so different. Where do you even start? What we're going to see, I think, in this experience of Paul in Athens is what he does is he looks for points of connection with what people think God is like and then he challenges them at that point so that he can speak to them about Jesus. And as I mentioned earlier, I think what that does for us is it perhaps gives us some tips for our own speaking to people about Jesus, but along the way perhaps it also challenges us about our own perhaps preconceived ideas of what God is like, challenges our misunderstandings of what we think God is like. And so the first challenge that we're going to look at here uh, that Paul makes to the people of Athens is a challenge to religious people whose God is too small. Their idea of God is too small. And the people of Athens really are the perfect example of that. They're very religious. Their city is full of idols. You couldn't miss it. But their idea of God, or God's as it turns out, is completely wrong and far too small. Their understanding of God is so far from the creator God who revealed himself to Israel, who promised the Messiah. But instead of kind of attacking their idolatry and saying, look just how wrong that is, have a look at what he says to them in in verse 22 of chapter 17. He finds a point of connection with them. It says, verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. See, Paul sees that they are very religious. You can't miss it. They themselves know that they are very religious. And he uses that as a point of contact for speaking to them. You see, like the people of Athens, like most people in the world, have an, an awareness of God. And for them, it expresses itself in their religion. And for some people, they might say their spirituality. And so they've come up with their own ideas of what they think God is like. But they even recognise their own ignorance in that. They're so conscious of the spiritual reality. They've got idols for every conceivable God, but they kind of know that they're just guessing. And so they've even got this extra idol to an unknown God because they recognise the possibility that there could be some God that they don't know about. And that's a starting point that Paul can speak into. He says, let me tell you about that God that you know you don't know. That's who I'm going to tell you about. And what he says to them, basically, is your religion makes God far too small. Have a look now from verse 24. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. When you put it like that, it kind of seems obvious, doesn't it? God made the world, he made us, he made everything in it, he made everything we have, that all comes from God. Every breath we breathe, every day we live comes as a gift from God, the creator who made us. Do you really think he needs your stuff? Do you really think he needs you to give him things or to build a house for him to live in or to wait on him, to give him offerings of food and drink? That's what the religion of the people of Athens was like. God lives in a temple on the hill or a shrine in my house and I need to give him the stuff that he wants in hope that he will give me the things that I want or perhaps spare me from the bad things that I don't want. That's the kind of religion that they were practising and in fact that's most religion and it comes from having an idea of God that is too small. For the people of Athens, it was small enough literally that you could fit in your hands an idol made of, made of gold or, or silver or stone. And so Paul says to them in verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design or skill. You now, the God who made everything who created the entire world and everything, and it cannot be reduced to something that we can hold in our hands or even something that we can hold in our imagination. So even without physical idols, that we you know, we tend not to have physical idols, most religion has the same problem. The God of our imagination is far too small. The idea that the creator of everything, including my life, would be pleased or satisfied because I try and fit him into my big life, try and find some space for him to fit in, then that kind of God is big enough that I, well, I acknowledge that I need to take notice of him, but small enough that I assume that he needs something from me and that when I give him something, maybe it's the scraps, maybe it's something good, he should be pleased by that. That's not a God. Certainly not the creator, it's more like a pet that you've got to kind of look after and, and keep happy. Or may, maybe a baby with magical powers. You know, you want to make sure that the baby doesn't have a tantrum and, and cause some problems and so you try and keep them happy. Or a genie in a lantern that you have to rub the right way to get the wishes that you want. Uh, this is where I think a lot of uh, atheists kind of have it right when they mock so much of the religion in the world the God of our imaginations that we come up with to satisfy our spiritual longings, our inbuilt spiritual awareness, is actually not very impressive. In fact, sometimes he's really quite silly. And that's what Paul says to these guys. The God of your imagination is just too small. And he ends in verse 30 with some good news and a challenge. Verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. It's not too late, he says. God has shown us who he really is, and now is the time to take notice. That's Paul's challenge to religious people whose God is too small. But I think there are a couple of more challenges that Paul uh, puts to us in this section. And the second one, the second challenge that I think we see here is a challenge to people who think God is far away, that is too far away to matter, and so who ignore God. You might have noticed in verse 18, we're told that one of the two groups of people that are debating with Paul were Epicurean philosophers. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never met an Epicurean philosopher. I don't think there are too many of them around these days. But these guys were kind of like the practical atheists of our day. They didn't outright deny God's existence, but they figured that he was too far away to matter in any practical sense. And so what they said was all that does matter is the material world, the things around us, and gaining as much happiness in our experience of life as possible. Now does that sound familiar? God is too far away to matter. What matters is my life, my experience, my happiness, the things around me. The Epicureans would have agreed with Paul that about the silliness of so much of the religion going on in Athens, that he could be pleased that God could be pleased by bringing them bringing him a cow or a sheep. But Paul has something to say to the Epicureans as well, and to everyone who thinks that they can ignore God because he must be too far away. He says this in verse 27. God created humans the way that he did so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. See, God has made us with an inbuilt awareness of him because he wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants us to reach out Seek him, find him. It is no accident that every culture in every part of the world throughout all of history has had some expression of religion. Religion is almost universal for humanity because God has made us to seek him. Now, we distort that, we suppress it, we make up stuff because we don't want the real God to be our God, uh, uh, to tell us how to live. And, and so we kind of, we twist it and and we close our eyes to the truth of God. And so it's like we're kind of groping around in the dark, knowing that God's there, but not really able to find him. It's kind of like that, that game that you play in the pool. You know, Marco Polo, you know how it goes. You, someone's in and trying to find the other people in the pool with your eyes closed. And I've got to call out Marco and you say, well done, and I've got to try and follow your voice and find you, right? God wants us to reach out and find him. But our seeking is more like that eyes closed, blindly groping in the dark kind of seeking. And it results in either false religion, like I was just talking about, where we just make stuff up, or suppressing our knowledge of God, ignoring God, which is what practical atheists do. And so the point really coming out of that, this is, for ourselves and, and perhaps as we speak to other people, is don't ignore that awareness of God that is built into each one of us. It is no accident that each one of us do have this spiritual consciousness, an idea that God is there even if we can't find him. That's the second point of connection and challenge that we see with Paul in Athens. And the third one and the final one is a challenge to people who are confident in their own goodness and who think that is just what really matters, that their own goodness. And this, I think, is the Stoic philosophers, again, that we see in verse 18, the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. In many ways, those guys are kind of like the, the, the average good bloke that you meet. You know, That, that person, they're, they're such a, a good bloke. The Stoics were all about striving for virtue, right? That, that sounds good. That the good life could be achieved through virtue, through self-control, through living in harmony with the things and the people around you. And they taught that all of humanity came from a single origin, as, it says in, as Paul says in verse 26, and that we are God's offspring, as it says in verse 28. So they had this idea of God being in them and in the things around them. And what that did was it led them to want to do good and to act well but not to seek God. And isn't that true for so many people? I want to be good. I want to be moral, at least my own certain brand of morality. But God doesn't have much of a place in that. See, the way that God has made us has given us a moral instinct. We, Every person, pretty much, has this understanding that, that there is right and wrong. We expect, don't we, our culture expects that most people have a conscience. In fact, people who seem not to have a conscience, we, we call them psychopaths and we put them in prison or in a mental institution. We, we, we know that there is something wrong. If someone doesn't have an idea of right and wrong, that is inbuilt into us. We cry out against what is evil and increasingly at the moment our culture is is is, is um, uh becoming more and more outraged at what we call wrong or evil. But so many people just stop there at the idea of making sure that we do what is right and not what is wrong and not seeking the God who has given us that conscience. Everyone, as I said, has has an idea of awareness of God built into us. His fingerprints are everywhere in the world and in us. But we distort that in different ways. We close our eyes, we come up with our own false religion because we don't want God to be God. What we need is for God to speak into that situation in a clear and decisive way. And that was the message that Paul brought to the people of Athens that day, that God has done that and his name is Jesus. That's the message that Paul finishes with, that God is our creator that he will judge the world and he calls us to turn to him through Jesus. Let me read now verse 30 and 31. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. See, the God who created the world who gives us life and breath and everything else, every day we live, every breath we breathe, he wants us to seek him and to find him and he will one day hold every person to account. He will one day judge every person. And it is not too late. God is patient with us in our ignorance. He is patient with us making up our own convenient ideas of what we think God is like. But his patience will not last forever. That is the message that is universal for every person, whatever we might think about God. And so the message from Paul is, and to us, repent. Turn back to the real God, the creator who has shown himself through Jesus, who he raised from the dead. That is his message. And as I said at the beginning, if that's who God really is, and if he has shown himself to us through Jesus, then that must make a difference to how we respond to God, to what we think God is actually like. It means that God is not impressed by our religious activities, but we think we can make him, you know, appease him by our our religious activities. It means that God is not distant and unknowable or irrelevant, but he is not far from each one of us. And it even means that even our goodness on its own is not what impresses God. That's not what God has made us for, to live a good life but to ignore him, our creator. And I guess in our everyday Australian kind of way of thinking about it, he's not like my next-door neighbour, happy for us to go about our separate lives as long as we're on okay terms. He's our creator. He made us to know him and he will judge each one of us and he has given us a way to turn back to him through Jesus. That is the good news that God wants every single one of us to know and it's the good news that he wants us to share with other people as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you are indeed so much bigger than the ideas of you that we come up with and we ask that we will hear what you have said to us through Jesus, that you are our creator, that you love us, that you want us to come to you and that that will shape how we do indeed come to you through Jesus and that it will also cause us to want to share that message with others. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.